Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Hello, dear ones. I hope you are well today. I mentioned in a previous bonus episode, my love of Audible as a place to find books and podcasts on my favorite subjects of trauma and neuroscience and even some fiction. Well, guess what? I have my book on Audible too. (laughs) Yep. Being Relational, The Seven Ways to Quality Interaction and Lasting Change. You can visit audibletrial.com backslash blink of an eye pod. That's audibletrial.com slash blink of an iPod to sign up for a free 30-day trial and get being relational for free because you get a free audiobook, any audiobook, when you sign up and use our link. Yep, it's pretty cool. For every person who signs up with our blink of an iPod link, Blink of an Eye podcast, earn some money. So if you're looking to give Audible a try, visit audibletrial.com slash blink of an iPod and choose as your free book, Being Relational. The link will also be in the show notes for easy access. Now, for today's bonus episode. Since we are all on the same journey of self-discovery, I thought you might like to hear a few writings, which I hope will inspire you to think more deeply about your life and your impact on the world every day. The writings come from our book, Being Relational. We all experience human disappointments and setbacks. And we all experience what it is like to feel whole and connected again, despite such setbacks. That's our God-given birthright as humans, to have this capacity to be resilient, to be able to bend and not break. We all have this capacity. It's a beautiful aspect. Of our humanity. As we are approaching the start of season three, I thought I would share some excerpts from Being Relational, which our publishers, HCI, have approved. For some context, I'd like to share with you that it took me three years to write the book, and then another year, thanks to my husband Billy, to finish. That was four years right before Archer was injured. We had handed it over to our publisher just before that accident. 
for the publication and release date set for September 1st, 2015. Archer was injured August 5th, 2015. How uncanny is that? And the book was written for the winners in the world. People like we who have our health and a bank account and food and a roof over our heads and how to live relationally in an otherwise highly transactional world. You might recall from season two that the book went to market on Amazon and in Barnes and Noble and other independent bookstores the very day Archer's body again crashed and we were hanging on for dear life. The book parties and talks and signings set up by our publicists were all canceled and far from my mind. Well, being relational did become a bestseller on Amazon in communication and social skills, even though we never had an opportunity to do signings and appearances. I didn't look back on it until almost two years after the accident. I never imagined that all we had written and all I had learned from my students in my conflict transformation and mediation courses and all that I had witnessed as a mediator of just about every type of dispute and human crisis that families and citizens of the world face and suffer through, as well as all the time with Billy going back and forth to review and rethink our writing and concepts, not to mention countless pillow talk discussions, would provide a framework for how we navigated Archer's and our family's crisis. A relational mindset played a major role in informing me how to marshal the specialized support we experienced and how to be with medical providers when we needed them so desperately and had also been let down by some so badly. So listen in for some relational wisdom and see how it might apply to your life. Here's an exclusive montage of excerpts from the book. Maybe it will come in handy for you in a time of crisis or a moment that begs for advocacy. Or maybe it will help you be more relational, more genuinely connected in your day-to-day life. Or perhaps more willing to see another's perspective while also advocating for your own and maybe even willing to become more open and even forgiving. So settle in, take a deep breath, and ground yourself. Feel your feet on the floor or your tush in the seat, wherever you are. And know you are supported. Okay, here we go. This is bonus six. 
excerpts from Being Relational. Being Relational, The Seven Ways to Quality Interaction and Lasting Change by Louise Phipps-Sempt and William Sempt, 2015, Health Communications, Inc. Excerpts. So I thought you might want to know that the book is organized into the four ways for quality interaction and the three ways for lasting change. And each way may sound familiar on its face. And each one is so much more. They're challenging. So the four ways to quality interaction are being engaged, being centered, being grounded, and being clear. Here's the first excerpt. Part two, the four ways to quality interaction. At the root of what makes conflict escalate and dialogue deteriorate in a destructive spiraling cycle are two distinct experiences of conflict. First, you feel weakness in some form, such as you're losing control, you're confused about your options, you don't know how to respond to the way that the other person is coming at you, you question your own ability to manage the situation, you can't make a decision and stick with it, you're frustrated. You feel like you're grasping at straws to find solutions. Or you're losing confidence and hope of preventing a bad outcome. Second, you become self-absorbed, such as you are suspicious of the other. You're making negative assumptions about the other's motives and morality. You are guarding and protecting yourself from a perceived threat. You shut down your curiosity about the other, or you're so focused on your own suffering and weakness that you're unable to consider the other person's perspective. The theory of relational reciprocity. The experience of weakness and self-absorption feeds a cycle that escalates conflict. For instance, the more closed you are to understanding the other person's perspective, the more suspicious you become. And the more suspicious you are, the more fearful you become. And the more fearful you are, the more angry you become, and on and on. To transformative conflict theory, we would add a theory we've developed and seen borne out over and over in our more than 20 years of practice in mediation. The theory of relational reciprocity. This theory states that there is a physical energy 
created and expended in the ways we choose to relate to each other. Each intention and action creates energy. When in conflict, the more suspicious and angry energy you have with another person, the weaker and more self-absorbed experience they will have with you. This reciprocity can manifest itself in different ways, including when the other person shuts down mentally and emotionally with an equal and opposing energetic intensity. The response of the other person may not be the exact same as yours, but it will manifest with the same amount of energy. So the more frustrated you are, the more closed they become. The more closed you are to them, the more forceful they become to you. The transformative theory of conflict and our theory of relational reciprocity both posit that you are not doomed to remain in this negative and destructive cycle. You have both the capacity to change the interaction and a powerful innate motivation to restore your sense of connectedness to the other person, even in the midst of bitter conflict. You have this ability, springing from your essential strength and empathy to be engaged, centered, grounded, and clear. You call upon this strength instinctively because of the moral and social impulse that is your genetic birthright and is within your very soul. And according to the theory of relational reciprocity, the more you act relationally by fostering your inner strength to be engaged, centered, grounded, and clear, the more the other person will respond relationally to you. This next excerpt comes from the second part of the book, The Three Ways to Lasting Positive Change, Being Generous, Being Humble, and Being Kind. And I wanted to share what I've personally witnessed countless times when people are given the opportunity to have facilitated quality interactions in commercial mediations, as well as interpersonal mediations. Here we go. Chapter 7. Why Being Generous is Good for You and Others When you are generous, you easily break negotiation deadlocks since you aren't trying to get the last dollar on the table and maximize your gain. 
resolutions are quicker and your dealings more pleasant and less stressful. You part with a smile and a handshake. There was no winner and no loser. You were generous. You left money on the table and the other person was happy not to get squeezed, which made you both feel good. That brings us to another great reason for being generous. It physically and emotionally makes you feel good. You get an emotional rush out of it. Some people who feel this rush more strongly actually come to crave it and seek it often. Studies in neuroscience show that even compulsory giving, like paying taxes, activates portions of the brain that release dopamine, providing pleasure and warm feelings as if you yourself received a reward, especially if your generosity meets with approval from the other person and they offer you a smile or some other gesture showing their good feelings towards you. You are also more likely to live longer and contentedly. What's more, if the approval of others is important to you, it probably makes you look good in the eyes of others who are not even the recipients, neighbors, peers, and colleagues. You may get some recognition from them for being a generous person. You also internally give yourself recognition. Your sense of self and your value in the world is given a boost. Generosity, particularly in the form of volunteering time to help others, is regularly used to help people suffering from depression to break out of their state of self-absorption and negativity and how they view themselves. And there are other benefits for you. You build goodwill with others to whom you give. They are happy to receive a gift and may repay your kindness someday. What goes around comes around. If you pay a kindness forward, it may be paid back to you. When you are generous with clients and customers, they are likely to return. You create positive karma that you yourself are the beneficiary of. Generosity is contagious, and when you are generous, others feel empowered to be generous too. And you start a ripple of generosity that can quickly become a wave. This next excerpt is part of the opening of the book. Chapter 1, Being Transactional. Is it a way that works for those who have so much? The challenge for those who are the winners 
the ones with the power and for whom this book was written, and the hope for our evolution is to change the paradigm of interaction. Looking closely at how we use our power, compete, negotiate, and relate, the shift from being transactional to being relational can begin. And we can move from focusing only on self and maximizing gain to focusing on both self and other and maximizing well-being. So in this next excerpt, back to the four ways for quality interaction, being engaged, being centered, being grounded, and being clear, chapter four focuses on being centered. And I spend some time on triangling. Ever heard of triangling? <laughs> well, we all do it to one degree or another when we're not aware. <laughs> you might say when we're Asleep. You know what I mean. So you might ask what I mean when I speak of triangling. Well, triangling is when we agree with someone to the disadvantage of another. Or we create fractures in relationships to feel closer to those we do not have a fracture with at that time. Triangling, it's a way of politics, it's a way of some families, and it's a way of many co-workers. See what you think about this. Chapter 4, Being Centered, is choosing unitive triangling. Say you are aware of the feeling that you are about to get sucked into someone else's problem. Or conflict. It might be a flutter of your heart or a quickening of your pulse, or maybe it's a certain excitement or even shock at the gossip that is shared with you. Now what? You remain calm and aware of the unsteadiness or the flutter in you. Your body provides wonderful cues that something important is happening in the exchange, in the interaction you are now in, whether you invited it or not. Now you pause and listen deeply and fully, not yet responding. You find the center within you through your breath. Pause and breathe. Feel that belly breath. No one else will even notice. It's all personal, just for you. Let the oxygen fill your body. Listen fully and completely to the complaint, the gripe, 
the gossip, the put down. Suspend your judgment so you can listen fully without having to judge. You are aware of the leaning you may have one way or the other to join in or to dismiss. Remind yourself of possible destructive triangle responses, agreeing with, adding to the complaint, dismissing the complaint, putting down the complainer. Instead, you honor the speaker's situation and honor your own presence. The other person complaining may be loud or ugly or funny. They may make you uncomfortable. Don't fight that. Instead, befriend that. Be curious about that feeling and stay steady. Stay centered, fully awake, and open, ready to be responsive. When the person stops complaining about the other person, offer a reflection, part of being engaged. Reflect back exactly what they said. This is not reflecting back what you think they meant to say. This is reflecting back exactly what they said. Their words, not yours. Their stated meaning, not your interpretation. Wait. Pause and breathe again. Repeat as necessary. Be amazed at the effect your centeredness has on them. They are likely to calm down and soften the rough edges of their complaint as they sense that you are not immediately joining in it. They are also likely to expand on the complaint and get underneath to a core concern that is often rooted in fear. What a service you just provided. Making a choice to live relationally by staying centered and not getting sucked in or adding to a problem, which often in turn provides them the space and opportunity to become more open to themselves and their otherwise narrow experience. Being centered allows you to be responsive, not reactive. Being centered allows them to think more clearly, more thoughtfully, more fully about a situation as well. And here is a final excerpt on power. That's right. Being relational has a lot to say about power. And there's always so much for us to think about. 
And here we are now on the global stage, witnessing a war with Russia invading Ukraine, one dramatic use of power that is highly transactional, not relational in any way. Here is a part of a chapter for you to consider in your day-to-day life, because what we each do daily has collective consequences globally as we go back to the theory of relational reciprocity. Here we go. Chapter 9. Being kind is using power gently. For winners like you, lasting positive change in your family, workplace, community, and world starts with you. Being gentle and how you use your power because you realize now that you have a lot of power. What you do affects others and you want that effect to be positive. You want to maximize well-being for both self and other. Competition that crushes and oppresses others is not positive. Oh, there's a time and a place for competing in sports, in games, in business, in sales, in donations, in votes. But even in these arenas, there are limits. Using your power to get all that you can for yourself out of an interaction with another might seem good in the short run, but in the long run, it leaves them poor and bitter and you rich and hollow. So you choose to be gentle in your dealings with others, embodying everything that is positively transformative, being generous, humble, and kind. It goes back to where we started, being relational versus being transactional. You consider your interactions, all of them. You are aware of your power currencies and the many temptations to maximize your own self-interest over another or at the expense of another. You are discerning and you consider how it feels for you when others maximize their self-interest over yours. You know that maximizing self-interest in the short run might get you what you think you want. Maybe not. Being relational, you consider yourself and the impact on the other. You believe you can get what you want without disadvantaging others. You are thoughtful and discerning. You put effort into quality engagement. You have the ability to both look back and to imagine forward. And you have the capacity of self-observation 
in the moment. You practice being relational in every interaction. When you do, you enter into a sense of connectedness with others, a sense of ease. Being relational brings ease to interactions. Others feel it too. You maximize well-being. You are inspired and you inspire others to become more open. You create openness. With openness comes potential. You anticipate that something good will happen when you engage relationally. It is unknown exactly what that is or will be. You are okay with that. You know you can positively expect the unexpected. Be relational. You know how to do it. We hope we helped you with that. It's a very good way to be. For you. For others. For everyone. As we close, it's a good way to be. It's as simple as that. And it's also powerful. Choosing to be relational and to experience life relationally is one of the secrets that can help us live more fully as we slowly digest our trauma journeys and restore our sense of stability and connection with ourselves and others in our world. The only thing we can change is ourselves. And when we do, we can affect incredible change in the world. We're not passive, helpless creatures in the face of difficulties and suffering. No, we have the capacity to find compassion and to put that back in the world with tenderness and with strength. The more we heal, the more we can spontaneously give back to the world that gives us so much when we're looking for what is good and kind. The more relational work we do for ourselves, And the more relational possibility we see and live into, both for ourselves and for others, the more we positively impact the next generation. Thank you for joining in the journey of trauma healing and listening in to Blink of an Eye. Thank you for choosing or buying the book, Being Relational on Audible. We'll be back in a couple weeks with more bonus content from Season 2 and Season 1. Season 3 is just around the corner. So make sure you are subscribed to be notified when it premieres. Our Patreon members can anticipate a sneak peek of Season 3 before the premiere, along with the bonus episodes they have already gotten early.
So make sure to sign up on Patreon if you haven't yet. And thank you for supporting Blink of an Eye. I look forward to being with you again as we begin Season 3 in April. As always, follow us on Instagram at Blink of an Eye Pod and find us on Facebook at Blink of an Eye Podcast. Season 3 is in the works and will be coming to you wherever you listen to podcasts in several weeks. This gives you time to catch up and go back to episodes you may have missed. And please tell your friends or anyone who might be home in quarantine or isolated due to COVID-19, or tell any friend who is wrestling with an old trauma or who just needs a good story to subscribe to and start with episode one, season one, to binge listen to a riveting narrative told like an old-fashioned radio story that will help the time fly by and provide new insights. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Baltimore Mediation has offered trainings and workshops on conflict transformation, mediation, relational leadership, and the Enneagram since 1993. For more information on our course offerings, visit www.baltimoremediation.com.